I think right now Apple feels like they're the big gorilla in the room. Like no one could knock them out. But I think somebody could knock them out. And this type of trickery and deception is exactly what drives customers nuts. And the minute a customer feels like they've been slighted by you, whether it's by what you're talking about, like building in these hurdling blocks for customers, hidden fees, like on your cell phone bill or your hospital bill. I mean, this is the stuff that makes customers nuts. My husband and I recently cut our cable cord. You know, we we dumped our cable company and now we just have Netflix and Amazon streaming. And we were so excited to do that because we just felt like here's a company that has been kind of doing shady stuff for many years and we're so happy to get rid of them. So even though, yes, Apple is big, they feel like they can pull the wool over customers' eyes right now. I think that there will be another company that can muscle Apple out eventually. Why not? Once at one time, Apple was that company muscling other gorillas out. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. We're living in the era of peak consumerism. People are buying more than ever. Companies are becoming larger and more powerful than governments themselves. Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple. These companies are the tech giants that are dominating our landscape. And yet there's so much more happening when it comes to massive corporations and corporate power. In today's episode, we've got customer experience, futurist, and keynote speaker Blake Morgan on the program. Blake's the author of More is More, How the Best Companies Work Harder and Go Farther to Create a Knock-Your-Socks-Off Customer Experience. She's an adjunct faculty member at the Rutgers Executive Education MBA program, is a contributor to Forbes, the Harvard Business Review, the host of the Modern Customer Podcast, and runs a successful YouTube channel focused on the future of commerce, customer service, and much, much more. In today's episode, we dive deep into the future of e-commerce, competing with Amazon and where we're headed, why Blake's so excited about augmented reality and virtual reality, the scary reality of data, privacy, and personalization, and when the trade-offs make sense, Why AI will be such a transformational tool both for commerce and customer service. Why businesses will look different in the future and how we can plan for it. And the issues and advantages of having robots in our home. And now, without further ado, I give you Blake Morgan. Are you going organic, keto, paleo, some type of diet for incredible performance? You want the healthiest foods delivered to your doorstep fast and easy? Well, you should check out today's show sponsor, Thrive Market, the best organic online grocery store in the States. They've got gluten-free lentils and breads, chemical-free cleaners, organic coconut milk, all at up to 50% off delivered to your door with a subscription to Thrive Market's awesome online health store. Listeners get a bonus 25% off their first order, up to 20 bucks when you use our link, disruptors.fm slash thrive. Check it out. They've got just about everything at rock bottom prices for for best in class quality, regardless of how you're eating. And I know I switch it up. I'm sure you guys do as well. Disruptors.fm slash thrive for more details. I spent all day today writing. I love coffee, but I hate jitters. I was at Starbucks and I'm a little bit bouncing off the walls. That's why I'm pumped to tell you guys about today's show sponsor, Four Sigmatic's Lion's Mane Blend. If you haven't tried Lion's Mane or the other awesome mushrooms that this Finnish company is putting out there, I definitely recommend it. Between the podcast, books, startup coaching, and life as a dad, I need to be switched on and creative in a big way. 
and Four Sigmatic's proprietary blend. It's got only 40 milligrams of caffeine for creative, natural, drug-free productivity to power your day without the crash, side effects, or addiction. And you know what? The flavor, it's awesome. Listeners, if you go to disruptors.fm slash FS, you'll save 10% off anything from Four Sigmatic. They've got some incredible superfood blends. I recommend checking out their Four Mushroom blend as well. And you know what? You'll get free shipping anywhere in the US. Again, that's disruptors.fm slash FS. Use offer code disruptors to save 10% and to take it to the next level. Tim Ferriss recommends this to everybody. Jonathan Levy, one of the awesome guests we had, our Superhuman Academy all-star, he loves it as well. And it's powering elite performers like you everywhere. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. First, what are you most excited about today, just in general, themes, trends? Wow. Well, I've got people actually at my house today who I work with remotely, someone who lives in Texas. So she is helping me build my business. So it's neat to be able to work with somebody who's helped you for years, finally in person and, uh, you know, build a strategy to get my message out about customer centricity. So she's here and she she went to lunch while you and I are talking. But that's what I'm excited about. So you asked me today. So today, that is literally what is on my mind is my own business and collaborating with my freelancers. There's a great quote I heard and something like, if you've got a dream, you need a team. And if you don't need a team, you're not dreaming big enough. And I think that's something that not enough people think about is you got to build something awesome. And to do that, you need help. What's it like? Yeah. You, you and your husband, you both are you both are futurists of sorts. You're both authors. You're both pretty successful. What's that like building a career alongside somebody else? Well, it's great because when he and I got married, I was working at a Fortune 500 company and I honestly hated it. It was just horrible for me. And I had a front seat to his success, his career. And so I thought, you know, this guy is making good money being a, a speaker. And I thought, you know what? I'm not a great speaker, but maybe I can learn that. And I want to do what he's doing. So he's really taught me how to make this a business. And it's interesting if you think about it, because you're making money off of your ideas. Like you're literally, you're packaging and selling your ideas. And this job was not available when I went to college. So we're both kind of building and um, figuring it out for ourselves without any clear like path, right? Because you just kind of learn as you go. But it's, it's been great coaster. to have his support. It's totally, yeah, great. I like that you brought up that the job didn't exist before. Everything's changing incredibly quickly. That's part of the purpose of this podcast is it's convergent exponential technology. Where do you see work in the future of work and business headed? The future of work is something that I actually know about because of Jacob. He wrote a book, The Future of Work, and I focus on customer experience. But I think as far as where's the future of work headed, for me, I'm looking at communication because communication is such a big part of how we engage customers. And so you asked me, where is the future of work headed? From a customer experience perspective, it's about this ubiquitous communication. So how are we collaborating all over the world with our colleagues, with other departments, with other people in these huge ecosystems to create an experience for a customer that feels familiar, that feels small, that feels personalized? So what does it look like on the work front to create something that's so stupidly familiar, like a Spotify customer experience, right? So as far as being global, it's really hard for these companies to do. And that's why most of them absolutely suck at it. 
I would definitely agree with that. You call Amazon, you call a lot of them. It's not even they necessarily suck at it. They just don't have to care because they're so big. Well, that's the thing. They do have to care because how fast are you willing to dump someone, some company, not someone, but pretty fast. And uh, I'm writing a new book about technology right now. And this is totally top of mind for me that, you know, as far as my life, I'm a mom to a two-year-old, I have my own business. And I am so, I don't want to call myself a survivalist, but I'm so focused on my life and building my business that I will dump a company so quick if it's not adding value in some way to my life. And now consumers have choices. So companies, even though they are big, that's no longer really an asset because, I mean, so many, if you look at the Fortune 500 list from last year, really all these software companies are just skipping up this list so quickly and and knocking legacy companies out like NVIDIA, like Facebook, like Google. I mean, these tech companies are just able to move so quickly. And so it's affecting Wall Street as well. It's affecting Fortune 500 companies. As someone focused on customer experience, what do you think when you found out that it was true? Apple was slowing down the iPhones to get you to buy a new one when they released a new phone. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, they're in the business of making a profit and they do. They do. I mean, they've done things like, you know, when you get a new iPhone or you get a new Mac, I have a newish Mac, like you can't use the same um, cords that you did before. So you have to buy all new cords. I mean, they're in the business of making a profit. I mean, I have to say, I don't, I don't know exactly the story you're talking about. That's not something I've focused on, but maybe if you tell me more, I can give you something thoughtful about it. You know how you always heard people would say, God, my phone's gotten slower. And it was always right after the new Apple event when they announced the new iPhone launch. Well, it turns out Apple was actually installing, they were slowing down your software on your phones remotely so that you felt like, oh my God, my phone's getting old. I need to buy a new one. And that was even this year? That they Oh, they've been doing it forever, but they just got caught doing it this year. And they, they claimed they were doing it to... Uh, preserve battery life because the new operating systems used more batteries. So they didn't want your battery to drain faster. So they drained performance instead. It's a bit of a joke. I know. You you think you'd think companies couldn't get away with that these days and still have massive amounts of fans. But that shows you what customer experience does if you build it upright initially, I guess. I think right now, Apple feels like they're the big gorilla in the room, like no one could knock them out. But I think somebody could knock them out. And this type of trickery and deception is exactly what drives customers nuts. And the minute a customer feels like they've been slighted by you, whether it's by what you're talking about, like building in these hurdling blocks for customers, hidden fees, like on your cell phone bill or your hospital bill. I mean, this is the stuff that makes customers nuts. My husband and I recently cut our cable cord. You know, we we dumped our cable company and now we just have Netflix and Amazon streaming. And we were so excited to do that because we just felt like here's a company that has been kind of doing shady stuff for many years and we're so happy to get rid of them. So even though, yes, Apple is big, they feel like they can pull the wool over customers' eyes right now. I think that there will be another company that can muscle Apple out eventually. Why not? Once at one time, Apple was that company muscling other gorillas out. I think definitely they aren't innovating anymore. They're just trying to figure out new ways to sell you the dongles, which is a It makes a ton of money, but it doesn't build for a long-term strategy. One thing I found with, if you look at like Android versus Apple people though, is when something happens on the Android phone or on Windows, especially people get upset about Windows. They get upset about Android. When something happens on an Apple product, people assume that it's just them, that it must be something they did wrong or a mistake. And it's a weird, it's a weird dichotomy. It's like people have been, it's like the battered wife syndrome. Like you deserve it. Yeah. You know, it's crazy that you told me the story and literally I was thinking of getting a new iPhone, like 
because of the, my phone was slow. <laughs> just you're blowing my mind with the story, Matt. I can't believe it. But um, battered wife syndrome. Maybe why? Because Apple's so smart. They feel like, well, I must be a stupid customer because this company couldn't possibly. Basically, because that is kind of their market. They're selling to the the older people that want the more basic thing that's easier to use. That is either that or they're selling to the person that wants the high end thing that seems cool and fancy around the friends. But either what kind way, of phone do you have? I have a, a, a shitty phone, a Moto E four or something. Basic, a basic hundred, hundred fifty dollar Android. It's good enough. I can listen to podcasts. I can do email. It's just as fast as the other stuff, but it's yeah. super cheap. And I, I have a tendency of dropping things or spilling coffee or terrible mistakes. So I don't want to do that with a thousand dollar phone. Totally, I get it. So, what do you think about in terms of the future of business models? We see a lot of things changing. We see platforms with Amazon. We see software as a service. We see hardware with Apple, but Apple tries to get into services. How do you see this changing, especially as it relates to companies and dealing with their customers? How are how are business models changing? I think that companies today need to be more fluid about how they sell to customers. How fast can a company pivot or evolve um, to meet to be modern? For example, a car company that decides we're no longer going to lease cars out for rent. We're just, we're no longer going to lease cars. We're going to just allow customers to like rent them. So I think that today companies need to be better and smarter about pivoting their entire business model quickly to meet the changing dynamic of customer behavior. But if you could be more specific, maybe I can comment more thoughtfully because I mean, as far as business, like, could you be more specific? I guess a better way to look at that would be, and it's semi-related, but not entirely. How do you create raving fans? Tesla, Apple, the best companies in the world in terms of excitement at NPS, net promoter score. Those are the companies that become the most valuable because they make customers feel awesome. What's the best way to do that? I recently was actually talking to a service manager at Tesla, and he was telling me that what's interesting about Tesla customers is that they really want Tesla to succeed. And they they are giving feedback all the time because they want Tesla to be better. They're constantly telling Tesla, the service manager, he was telling me how they can improve the car, how they can improve the software updates, because they're personally invested in the success of Tesla. Because I think they believe in the larger principles that Tesla represents. How do we reduce the carbon footprint? How do we make the driving experience easier and better for customers? And I think if you can get the community excited about your mission, while also adding insane value to their lives, it's just this beautiful marriage and you'll always have a customer. You almost create an open source movement where they build it for you. Absolutely. Like Slack is another company that, you know, built with a customer in mind from the beginning. They didn't have any marketing. Today's Slack, they iterated at every step with customer feedback and they're worth 5 billion bucks. So, I mean, these are, this is big money in being customer focused. Why are not enough companies? So it seems like a lot of companies aren't customer focused. Uh, that's a great question. I think they're not incentivized to be that way. They're still in the quarterly system and the CEO's job is to make profits for that quarter. And so they're focused on pleasing Wall Street. You know, in your own life, if you want to make a big change, Matt, in your life, you might need to slow down to go fast. And I think companies are just so busy making profits. They don't want to slow down and be thoughtful of, you know, what is our customer experience? What is our employee experience? They're just busy focusing on operational efficiencies. So how do we move the most amount of customers through the same process in order to make the most amount of revenue? Yes, yeah, a factory a factory of funding essentially. You move people through. How do you how do you see the future of commerce and customer experience changing as AR and VR become more ubiquitous? 
Wow. These are like rapid fire, like really hard. <laughs> I like it. That's what, that's what we're, that's what we're here. I have way too much coffee and I'm wired. It intense is always are fun. You? That's good. Um, the future of AR, AR and VR. Okay. The interesting thing about AR and VR is that it lets you experience something when you're not there. From my perspective, I mean, there are two ways to look at it. Customer service. So let's say my cable breaks and I have to call an agent at my cable company. It would be so much easier if my cable company's agent could just swap into a view to my view and say, okay, Blake, you need to do this and this and this. Or maybe I swap into the view of the agent trying to help me and I can see, oh, they've got a, the mod, the product set up and they can tell me, Blake, let here's, here's what you're looking at is your cable system. Here's how you would fix it. So it would enable a more tangible, easier to understand, easier to see experience because you're literally looking at it through VR glasses. Also, from a training perspective, how can we better train our employees? For example, I know this is being used in healthcare, VR. How can we train employees better using VR so they feel like they're actually in that emergency room while they're just practicing? AR, a lot of companies are already using augmented reality to give customers an idea of what something feels like without being there. Like Sephora on their app has an AR feature where you can try on lipstick and eyelashes. Um, or Wayfair allows you to actually find something on your phone. Like say you go to a bar and you see a bar stool and you're like, that is the coolest bar stool I've ever seen. I need it in my family room. You can take a picture of it with the Wayfair app and it will find one that's similar for you on their app. So those are two examples of AR and a couple examples of VR. And it's super interesting, especially Amazon's huge in this space in terms of what they're trying to do. They're the they're the eight hundred pound gorilla. How do you differentiate? How do you win in e commerce? Not necessarily win everything, but win and be successful as a company with Amazon and other big players. Well, I think you have to focus on value. What is it that Amazon can't do? Um, because there are companies that have done well not being on Amazon.com. I mean, the tough thing about Amazon is if you are successful on Amazon as a seller, Amazon might say, well, that's great. Thank you. But we're going to just replicate your product and sell it through Amazon Basics. And now we have all the information because we've been working with you for a few years. So I mean, actually, there's a very interesting video on Netflix, Hassan Minaj. Do you know him? The comedian? Is he the one from uh, from Silicon Valley? No, he did the um, roast. I forgot what it's called. The like press roast they do with the president every year. That's how mm -hmm. he got really famous. Nobody wanted to do it. I forgot what it's called. But um, no, he has this new show called, oh my God. It's, I'm going to think of it once I get off the podcast. He has a new talk show on Netflix called like, I don't know, something like America or like state of, I don't know. I got to tell you later and you can put it in the show notes. But it, he has this special on Amazon and it's like scary how important they are. And what kind of blew my mind is that Amazon, the way you avoid antitrust issues, I shouldn't even be talking about this, but the way you avoid antitrust issues is you basically are incredibly consumer focused. That's how you avoid being broken up. And so they are incredibly consumer focused and slowly but surely they are not like taking out industries overnight. So it's interesting to think about how big will Amazon get? You know, there are a lot of articles online about how to get around Amazon as far as e-commerce. The only thing, I'm not a specialist on this, but I can just say be unique, create an experience that Amazon can't because they're just too big. Use your, if you're small, use being small as an advantage to provide a more tailored and personalized customer experience because Amazon is just so big. I mean, yeah, they've got done a lot of things right, but you can still carve out a piece for yourself by being authentic and delivering that personalized experience. 
You can. Amazon's terrifying. Amazon's my background. That's how I got here is building and selling a couple of businesses. But Amazon, so they buy Whole Foods for $13 billion. And then the top three grocers over the course of not a very long time, their market caps dropped $13 billion. It's like the market subsidized the acquisition. It's crazy when you think about how monopolistic that is and how much the market's trust Amazon and trust Bezos. Do you think that trust is from the customer? Do you think that's from the customer experience? Do you think that's from the charisma? Do you think it's something else entirely? I think it's from consistently delivering on their promise. I mean, they're just known for their execution is just so sharp. You said your background, you sold businesses to Amazon or what? what's uh, going on there? No, selling products on Amazon. So I would uh, manufacture I would manufacture in China and then sell in the US and Europe and scaled that up. And then I mean, selling stuff on Amazon is not really that exciting or a passion project. So I was ready to be done with it. And that's yeah. a transition to how to how I got here. What do you see? What do you see the the future of work being as we have more and more folks like you and I and other individuals that are starting their own businesses, they're building small things, they're becoming speakers, they're doing podcasts, etc. So what is the future of work as it relates to people like you and me, like thought leaders? Just, or? They're just, just in general, do you think it's going to become less and less employed by corporations, more startups, more small businesses, less work overall in general? Any thoughts? Oh, yeah. So we are moving toward this future of more automation. But what's interesting, I'm writing this book about technology is that people actually prefer a future customer experience that has more people involved, not less. So I do think the future of work is about directing technology, but people make people happy. I mean, I don't want to live in a robot world. I want to be able, if I get in a car accident, I want to talk to a person on the other end of the phone. I don't want to send a tweet or talk to a chat bot. I want to talk to a person. So I do believe the future will involve people. I don't think we want a future where machines are out of control talking to each other and there is no role for the person. What drives me nuts about these conversations about the future of work and books like Rise of the Robots by Martin Ford is that these authors and thought leaders act like we have no control. Like this is just this future that's like slowly going to annihilate us and we have no control over the future that we built. I'm an idealist. I think we can build a future that we want that's sustainable, that's deliberate, but we need thoughtful people involved in this conversation. We need women involved in this conversation about technology and robots in the future. And so I I really am an idealist about the future. That's the purpose of this podcast is to have those conversations because they don't happen enough where you get really smart people talking, not just about their fields, but about the tangential stuff that's also related that they also can add value to. So speaking of the speaking of that future of work and automation, yeah, I mean, I think robots will be able to replace a lot of work, but good luck getting a, a robot to be a, a five a fifth uh, five year old soccer coach, be a someone taking care of the elderly when they're about to die. I think there's a lot of things that that human touch is going to be important for. I think the value of people that are in lower value jobs today will go up and up and up. Yeah, I agree. I think that, okay, we might be able to have a robot that takes care of our kids, but do we want that? Hell no. I don't want a robot taking care of my two-year-old daughter. Yeah, on a deathbed, I'm pretty sure somebody who's dying doesn't want a robot tending to them in the hospice. I mean, that's depressing, but uh, yeah, we can be deliberate. We can say, well, I don't want a society that looks like this. I, I want a society that is human, um, that creates opportunity for more people, where people can be their best selves. And so I'm kind of sick of this conversation about robots, because I think everyone's panicking as if we aren't in control. We are in control. We just need to be deliberate. I would say yes and no. The problem with 
thinking that you're in control and being deliberate is. It's like a slippery slope. Once you realize that you're slipping, you can't pull yourself back up because you've slid too far. So I think there's benefits to, I think there's benefits to both sides of the conversation because automation and AI will be incredibly valuable, but it can also be incredibly dangerous. And if you run towards that cliff without thinking about it and being worried about it, then you'll run too quickly and trip and fall. So you must be in the Elon Musk camp where he's warning the world about it? I would be somewhere between the middle and Elon Musk. I I can't be Zuckerberg and say, God, everything is so happy. If we just connect the world on Facebook, everyone will live and sing Kubaya. But Mm. I also can't be Elon where the world is completely going to end. I think you've got to be somewhere in the middle. Technology isn't good or bad. It's how we use it. Now, the question is, if the technology becomes something in and of itself, then how we use it may not be another question, but we'll, we'll have to see how, how that plays out. What technology, what technology are you most excited about these days? I would say big data is an exciting thing for me because as a person, I really love a personalized customer experience. I love when I open my Spotify app and they play music that I love because the algorithm has got to know me so well that they can predict what I'll like. So for me, that personalization piece is really exciting. And that big data and analytics is what is going to allow us to get to that more personalized and tailored experience like you have on Spotify if you've ever used it. When's it become creepy though? When does it become creepy? That's a good question. I think it depends on the person. Yeah, it really depends. I mean, I am willing to hand over my data to companies that I trust so they can make my life easier and better. But once that company oversteps or there's a data breach, yeah, I'm not going to trust you as much. So I think it really depends. The company needs to think really thoughtfully about what their customers want, what their customers want. What does my customer want me to know about them? Like remember when Target started targeting pregnant moms because they could tell by their purchases if they were like if they were buying prenatal vitamins that they were pregnant and then they would start marketing them baby products and they got in a lot of they got a lot of press about this i don't think it was very positive well that's like table stakes these days that's yeah it's an old story but for me it it just always stands out because like i've had a baby so it's one of the most personal things that you honestly don't want to tell people until you're ready Mm -hmm. and then the company knows even before you tell your best friends and family i know facebook was recommending like did you know you got basically like pointing out people that were gay and other things because they were showing different ads on people's screens when their friends were around so suddenly people were finding out things that were still in the closet. I am um, oh. I, I get a little bit scared when a company knows you better than you know you because then you can be manipulated without realizing. Yeah, that's interesting. Um could you give an example of that? So for instance, I I mean we can just we need to look no further than Facebook and and Trump and looking at how it I mean Facebook wasn't directly the ones doing this, but if they wanted to be, they could have been probably even more effective than Cambridge Analytica at controlling what people do. It's it's like there was a I was listening to a podcast with Sam Harris and he was talking about a guy, he was a serial killer, he killed a ton of people. And before he died, he wrote a suicide note and he said, Please, I don't know what's wrong with me, but when I die, do an autopsy and cut open my head because something's wrong. Mm. And he had he had just gotten a brain tumor. It changed who he was, it changed how he acted, he couldn't control it. And I think you can say you can create similar situations with data, with information, with what we are shown, where you can take a completely sane person and control them just by knowing what they respond to. If you've ever watched something on YouTube, if it's anything remotely fringe or extreme, it just gets worse and worse and worse every next video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great example of that. Yeah, we. that's what I, I'm talking about, this thoughtfulness piece. 
and this leadership piece, because who is running these companies that says, you know, like, why are these social media companies apologizing after horrible things happen? Like, oh, I'm sorry that we didn't do a better job of censorship of, you know, allowing terrorists to or bullies on like Twitter. It should have happened farther, you know, in advance. Why didn't we have the leadership where people are saying we need to kind of be careful about what we're putting on these social networks? Well, it's hard. So like, why- Twitter Twitter got rid of a bunch of fake accounts and then the stock market pummeled them because they got rid of all of these Russian trolls. It's like they did the right thing and got screwed for it. It's part of its capitalism. It's well, not aligned yeah. perfectly. It's this interesting time with technology, the government, capitalism. I think it's a really interesting time for someone like you or me that's looking at behavior and saying, okay, what are the behaviors that we want in this society? You know, How are we going to let these companies manage themselves? Because a lot of bad things, I mean, this Cambridge Analytica thing is quite scary and upsetting. So how how could this happen? And then you watch the um, the trial when you know Mark Zuckerberg was brought into the court, and it's like the Senate they have no idea what they're like. What? How do you? How does your company make money? <laughs> they asked him that. He's it's, like through advertising. Yeah, that's um. There's a saying in science and in politics that innovation happens when the old guard dies. And unfortunately, we might be in a similar situation with politicians. I I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, it's a complicated problem. How would you deal with these big companies? Would you regulate? What what if you got a magic wand? What would you do? I would put more women in leadership roles, honestly, and more diverse candidates. Because I think that, you know, it's a problem when everybody looks the same and acts the same. I mean, I live in here in Silicon Valley, so it's hard to not notice that. I mean, I've worked at a Fortune 100 tech company and it is, you know, it's every, it's mostly men. So I think diversity is good. Debate is good. Transparency is good. I think all these things are good. What about on the flip side though? Can there be too much transparency? Um, can there be too much transparency? I guess it depends on the situation. Could you give me an example? I mean, I can't think of a great example right now in terms of companies having too much transparency, but I, I mean, okay, there's a policy between it's either Google or Facebook. I'm not sure which one has it, but it's in relation to the other one. And when you get an offer to go to Facebook, let's say, if Google finds out about it, they'll double the offer. And it kind of the, the incentives get misaligned then because you got to get that interview at Facebook so that you can get the double offer at Google to stay at Google. It's, it's not a great example, but it's an example of the wrongly aligned incentives that become transparent and problematic. Well, that's a talent war here. I'm kind of removed from it because I work for myself. But yeah, I know there's an engineering talent war. Um, I don't really have a comment on that. (laughs) What's it like working for yourself in Silicon Valley where everyone is the hotshot working at the startup or working at Facebook or Google? I'm so removed from it that, you know, honestly, all my, none of my neighbors, well, some of them work in tech, but a lot of them don't. And I don't know, when you have a kid, you're, you're like involved in things other than just work. So I mean, how I, I live here, I work here, but I wouldn't say I'm the person going to every like social media, not social media, but every tech happy hour, you know, I, I only go to events if I'm like, it sounds obnoxious, but often I go if, if I'm being paid to go because I'm, I just don't have time. So, I mean, it's cool because you're in this hub, but at the same time, you can be kind of removed from it if you're not going to, you know, going to all the conferences. I used to, but now I have a kid, so I just don't have time. Speaking of... What I'm telling you is it kind of feels like being anywhere because unless you seek it out. And that's really interesting in today's day and age. We can kind of be anywhere, work with anyone. It's uh, it's transformational for creatives, at least. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I admire people who live in rural areas like in the middle of nowhere because it's more inexpensive and like you don't need to live in San Francisco to have a business. So why, why pay three times in rent or 
your mortgage. What do you think about the San Francisco, just the prices going up and up and up in a seemingly unsustainable way? It's hard. A lot of my neighbors, you know, bought a house and then moved because they, you know, moms don't want to work anymore and they just want more flexibility. It's it's really expensive to live here. My husband and I like the life here and we like access to people and companies here and the weather and the food, but yeah, it's it's really hard. I think it's frustrating for people. I live I don't live in San Francisco. I live outside of San Francisco. So I know it's pretty crazy downtown. I mean, even if you just walk around, you hear people on the phone talking about valuations and million. this is worth millions and hundreds of millions. And it's like weird. It's weird. Yeah. Does it make you up your game at all? No, not really. I mean, I, um, I used to live in New York City for five years. So I think I'm kind of used to people who want to be in a city and high velocity and work hard and are competitive. And I'm just used to it. What technologies scare you the most or trends? What technologies scare me the most? I think some of this like VR stuff. I recently watched a show on Netflix called Maniac. Have you seen that? I haven't. What's it about? Um, It's about, uh, it's with Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. And they play these characters that are taking pills to like go back in their memory. It's about memory. It's interesting. But in one scene, one of the scientists is like engaged in an in an act with a uh, VR headset and like a sex doll. <laughs> that's creepy to me i don't want to know about that i don't know i don't know that's, that's, in- that's just top of mind it's interesting i kind of have a theory that that will be what propels vr forward at least first if you look at technology a lot right. of times it's the adult industry you might be right we'll see i don't have to hear about it i don't really care what people do in the privacy of their homes have you seen ready player one or read yeah the book? actually i did yeah my husband loves that you can talk to him about that when you interview him did it make you think at all the custom we had the customer service slaves <sighs> The customer service slaves. I honestly don't remember that scene. The folks that had debt. The folks that had uh, they had debt, so they got taken in by that massive company and had to work off the debt, even though their what they were being paid was less than what their cost for, for their food was. But they had to work in VR as people uh-huh. doing yada yada. Okay, just to sh- show you how much people hate investing in customer experience. The literally the worst scene, the worst job they could give a person is to have to work in customer service. That's the scene where they're like, you're slave. It's like pathetic that that is how little we value our relationships with our customers. It's like customer service is seen as so low on the totem pole that it's something that you should literally have to be forced to do in the work in a call center. Can you, I don't honestly remember that scene. No worries. Can you um can you tell me a little bit more about the Zappo store? I think it's a fun one that people would enjoy. Oh, about the 10-hour call? No, just uh just uh delivering happiness in general, Tony Shea's philosophy and why it was successful. Yeah. I actually interviewed Tony Shea like 10 years ago. It's funny because I just started podcasting. I don't think he liked the interview that much. I think he told me that he felt like he wanted to throw up. <laughs> oh, that's a that's Sorry, a tough one. He's a nice guy too. He is a nice guy. I think I was very nervous like 20 young 20 something year old. Um, okay. I mean, Zappos is incredible because I started in this industry like 10 years ago and they were already embracing all of these modern ideas like customer experience. They see the phone as a brand building opportunity. Um, their call center is really this like relationship building hub. And I even went to Vegas a couple of weeks ago and I shared the story of one of the agents named Steven who had the longest call Zappos has ever had with a customer, which was 10 hours. And it's the cutest video if you watch the interview with him. He's this like sweet, special guy that you just can't even imagine him working in like another company. I mean, he's just so like, he was so vulnerable and sweet. He's like, Oh, we were just talking about like travel and food and like things we like to do. 
And the conversation went beyond the shoe purchase. And so it's just, I mean, in most companies, they would never allow this behavior. They'd say like, you're nuts, 10 hours on the phone. But, you know, Zappos gets it. Now Zappos is owned by Amazon a billion dollars later. So, you know, Amazon is building the most, they say now we're building the most customer centric company on earth. And I mean, if you like them or you don't, I mean, they are embracing these ideas that most don't. They are. They're also driving the cost down for customers, which customers love and regulators can't get upset at them about. That's what I was telling you earlier. Exactly. Bezos is a genius. He just doesn't say, he's he's kind of implied that we need a universal basic income because Amazon's going to kill all the jobs. I know this year they're hiring 20,000 less seasonal workers than last year. First time ever. Why is that? Because they're automating the 20,000 plus away. What are the jobs? Uh, just people that were working in the factories, et cetera, primarily around like yeah. Prime Day and Christmas, et cetera. They would, it's a massive ramp up. If you look at the sales numbers, it's ridiculous, the fourth quarter. But if you've ever seen the inside of an Amazon warehouse, they've got these Roomba devices that are moving around stands. They, yeah. they, they're very advanced and it's, uh, it's an interesting and scary future. We'll see, uh, we'll see how it plays out. I'm going next week, so I'll let you know. I'm oh, yeah? Get a tour. Yeah. Yeah, very curious to hear how that is and what you think. I will let have, you know. Have you seen her? Yeah. What do you think about the customer experience of dealing with an AI or possibly falling in love with a product? I think people are craving personalized experiences and they have for years, but we've been treating our employees like robots. Our employees treat our customers like robots. But it's interesting that if you think about it, a robot has the actual ability to make a customer feel more like a person because they know your name. They know what you like. And so I think that experience is addictive and delicious. So I think it's positive that now we're getting our products and services that know us. If you could think about how much time, Matt, that you've actually wasted having to wade through irrelevant content, irrelevant information, look for a movie or a song that you you would like. I think you'd be shocked. And AI promises to really change that. So you're being served up things that you that are relevant for you, Matt Ward. So yeah, I mean, it, it can be weird and scary, like the whole idea of falling in love with a robot. I think there was something wrong with that character a little bit. But um, I mean, just on an op- efficiency level, I mean, we want companies to know us because it saves us time. And we have a limited amount of time here on planet Earth. So I think that's the beauty of AI. It's just really making people's lives better by by providing more relevant experiences. Do you think it'll be continuously like that or it'll be some type of S-curve where suddenly it gets to be a bit too much and then it's weird and creepy or not societally okay? I have no idea. Honestly, I think it's all about what we want to build. Do we want to get to the point where we're weird and creepy? Or are we going to constantly stop, reflect and say, okay, this is too creepy. We need to bring it back. Um, humanity never does that. No one ever does that? Humanity doesn't. People humanity do, but works. humanity doesn't. It's a, It seems to be a one, a one, uh, one size fits all type thing. God, I had a great question for you and I can't remember what it was. Um, what uh, What is one thing that you would want to leave people with? A quote, a call to action? It can be anything. I would say that if you can simply be thoughtful in your life or at the company where you work and just think like, how is this experience going to feel for the employee that I'm working with or the customer on the other end of this experience that I'm building? Like, You'll be so much more successful than others because most people don't stop to think, what does this feel like for someone else? 
So it's really this extra step of thoughtfulness, of reflection, that that intuition that really does differentiate the business person, whether you're an entrepreneur or you work for a company. Because again, most people are just so busy that they don't ever stop to reflect, what is this going to feel like for someone else? I feel like that sounds just like a product manager role. They're designing the UI and trying to make things perfect. Why is customer service not lumped in with product management and made to be the same thing? Because it is kind of the same thing. I think customer experience now, we're starting to understand, yeah, it is about design. Absolutely. It's about designing experiences for other people. And that feedback loop, I mean, now these new software companies, that's the platform they're standing on is, hey, we're feeding customer feedback you know, all kinds of data structured and unstructured back to the different parts of the company, including the designers like Slack, I mentioned, where they were doing this years ago, five years ago, where they were iterating at every point, feeding that customer experience, that feedback back to the designers and then changing the product as they went. That's the way to go. It's the lean startup model of continuous continuous improvement. There's not a there's not a better way to get better. Be Absolutely. It'd be interesting if government had even halfway decent customer service. How could we improve that? Well, that's the last question. How could we improve the experience of government and dealing with government? Yeah, I was thinking about this today. I think we need the software businesses and these customer cloud companies to better collaborate with government. I think government just moves so slow. They can't keep up even regulating these industries, let alone offering a seamless, frictionless experience to civilians. They just can't move that quickly. And so, you know, honestly, I don't know. Do businesses need to make it easier for government to buy from them? Or does government need to change how quickly and nimble the government is to be able to meet the needs of this very rapidly changing world that we're living in? Um, Even Europe is better than America, because at least in Europe, they're focusing more on GDPR, on data regulation and privacy, where we haven't even really um, done that here in the US. It's interesting. You like GDPR, and yet you said you're willing to give up the data for the better experience. Why? I didn't say I liked it. I just said that it's something that's happening okay. in Europe. Yeah, I think Europe does a much better job with this than the U.S. does. The U.S. is kind of a free-for-all. I'm willing to give up some data. The problem is when the wrong person gets my data and does creepy stuff with it. That I don't like. It's almost so. inevitable with hacking, though. Every company will be hacked. It just depends on when. I know. So that's something you know we got to worry about. It's a, it's a wild world we're living in. Blake, I want to, where is the best place for people to learn a little bit more about you? I know you've got a couple of books out. Plug your stuff now. Oh, thank you. Uh, my website, blakemichellemorgan.com. I've got that middle Michelle. Or uh, my book is that I wrote is called More is More. I've got a new book coming out next year. Um, find me on LinkedIn, Blake Michelle Morgan. I love LinkedIn. So that's it. You love LinkedIn. LinkedIn is mm-hmm. like the worst user experience possible for social oh, media. Yeah. User experience with the people on there and the ability to connect with good people for me has really helped me build my business. What was the hardest part about writing a book? Oh my God, the writing. <laughs> uh, I mean, the hard, no, the hardest part about writing a book is like being deliberate and getting rejected from however many publishers um, and just, you know, getting, keep going until you find a publisher. Be That's deliberate. the hardest part. You don't even need a publisher though. You don't if you have the audience. I found if you don't have the audience, it's very, I mean, it's very, yeah. very challenging. If you're a Tim Ferriss at this point, you don't need it. But if you're oh, a, yeah. if you're a Joe Schmo, good luck. Yeah. So getting a publisher is, is important, but I actually didn't find it to, you know, once you build up enough of a following, you don't have to be super famous to get a publishing deal. You just have to, you know, be willing to work hard. Are you competitive with Jacob at all in terms of that stuff? Uh, he's a lot bigger than me. So 
it's kind of hard to be competitive with him, but he supports everything I do. He's invested in my business. So it's kind of hard to compete with someone who's like trying to help you so much. So mm-hmm. no, it's just maybe friendly comp. We're not really, you know, we're married with a kid. So, I mean, all of our money is going to her. So it's kind of like, you know. Yeah, but it's like when you're playing cards with a family, you kind of want to beat them anyways. It's just that little personal thing. I know at least for my You family. can't though. I mean, he's like five times bigger than me. So. Um, oh, don't think so small, right? Well, yeah, but he started like a long time before me. He's start- He's been doing this like more than 10 years. I've been doing it three. So. Never set limits on yourself. That's one of my rules. And that's what I'm leaving you with today, Blake. Okay. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. It's been. <laughs> Uh, it's been a lot of fun thanks for tuning in guys hope you guys have enjoyed this and if you have you know what to do check out blake and her stuff and subscribe fringe.fm for more cheers if you want more of the disruptors you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes or go to disruptors.fm where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics cryptocurrency longevity ai space vr and much much more you can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.